Oh, this is something I have not done in a long time. This is a live Facebook video. I haven't done this in a long time again. Oh, hey everybody. I did some kind of technical thing there. Uh, I haven't done this in a long time, but this is a Facebook live thing, which I'm going to use on my podcast, the Christian Bible Study Ministry Podcast. The title uh, or the message of this episode is uh, Hebrews chapter 6, you know, entering God's rest, or at least that's what it's about anyway. Um, what does Hebrews chapter 6 really teach? And, you know, what is, again, what is it saying? What, what does this controversial passage of the Bible really say? And in order to answer this question, we're going to read um, chapter 6 and two other chapters, uh, chapters 3 and 4. And I think once we do this, you will understand uh, what I'm talking about, why I came to conclusions that I did. And I pretty much, you know, excuse me, I hope that you will, uh, if you have any lingering questions or concerns about this passage, that you will find an answer here and that you will find a blessing in it just like I did. So... We're going to start now with uh, Hebrews chapter 6. And what originally led me to study this was one very specific verse, and that was chapter 6, verse 3. And, you know, in, in, all, my, uh, in all of the many and numerous articles and discussions I have seen on Hebrews 6, it is very rare that I have seen verse 3 really expounded on. Uh, and we're going to be examining parts of chapter 6 and all of chapters 3 and 4. We will be looking at what we must do as Christians to enter God's rest. These passages are some of the most controversial ones in the Word. And, and if you go and do an online search about Hebrews 6, you will see very well what I'm talking about. Uh, a lot of people have a lot of fear uh, after reading this passage and, you know, they're concerned that they've committed some kind of sin, you know, that uh, has basically doomed them to eternal de destruction in hell. And that is the main reason why people have such fear of this passage. So we're going to go now to chapter 6 where we will read verses 1 through 13 and look at these Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible... For those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of, excuse me, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and are subjecting him and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, that produces a crop to those for whom it is farmed, re receives the blessing of God. 
but land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. We're going to read all this, or excuse me, or at least into uh, verse 9. My apologies, y'all. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation, the things that have to do with salvation. I repeat that. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this, this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. The author, the author appears to continue his line of thought to encourage his audience you know, to become diligent that they may obtain in fullness what God has promised. So we can see that the whole idea thus far in this chapter is to get the audience to mature and not stagnate in rebellion like their ancestors did. This, by the way, would make no sense if this passage was talking about people losing their salvation. Uh, perhaps it can be said that those who stagnate in their growth are spiritually lazy. You know, it's sometimes it, you know, but sometimes it's also because of fear. I think we will see in reading this chapter and the ones that we are about to cover that this that, that there is a mix of people's works being burned eternally and also suffering consequences here in this life. Uh, this is some very again. This is some powerful stuff. You know, uh, there's many different arguments about this passage, and I don't think I'm going to necessarily go into all those different views here. But it's it says here. Let me back up for just a moment. Oh yes, in verse three, it says that he wants them to move beyond the elementary basic teachings about Christ and to be taken forward to maturity. He wants them to go from being babies, you know, spiritual infants who need milk, uh, you know, to being f fully mature, responsible, experienced Christians, you know, people who are able to dig deep, you know, who are able to get the big plate of food, shall we say, in, in, you know, and eat steak, you know, steak and potatoes, I guess would be one way of saying it. Uh, you know, milk is always good at in, in times, you know, but we need to eat other things. We need to go on and eat the, eat steak or whatever it you know whatever kind of hearty foods that we enjoy you know we need that stuff because if we don't move forward there are consequences for that and we will see that now we're going to go and read chapter 3 in its entirety Hebrews chapter 3 wherefore holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling and by the way I will stop here now it says partakers of the heavenly calling. This is also, I know in the King James translation, I believe it's uh, in the chapter 6, verses 4 through 6 passage, it mentions partakers. So we see here that in chapter 3 that he is indeed talking uh, about true believers when he says partakers. Remember that. So we will read this now again. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ. This is interesting. Again, I will say, you know, we are called partakers as believers. I want to stress that again. Verse 2 now. Who was faithful to him that appointed him, 
as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he hath builded the house, hath more honor than the house. Moses was faithful, but God built the house, so Christ was given more glory. glory excuse me. Moses, without a doubt, was probably one of the most faithful people in all the Bible. You know, we know so much about him and his efforts to lead Israel through the desert into the promised land. You know, and we're going to read more about Moses here in just a short while. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as, as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end? We remember that Moses, along with his brother and sister, that's Aaron and Miriam, and all but two of the generation that left Egypt, just over somewhere over 600,000, it's been estimated, died in the wilderness. Moses and his family died in the wilderness because of their sin. They're, you know, their uh, relatively uh, short period of unbelief, I guess you could say. But yet Moses was considered very, very faithful. He had one, pretty much a one major incidence of sin and disobedience in his uh, uh, career as the leader of Israel, and you know, but that was a sh short period compared to the long and great period during which he faithfully served the Lord. Yet his disobedience cost him greatly. You know, he was not. Uh, allowed to cross into the promised land that he had sought so greatly for many years to enter, he was allowed to look at it. And, you know, we remember that the, he died on the mountain. I can't remember the name of the mountain. Maybe it was Mount Nebo. He, uh, Moses died on the mountain and the Lord buried him. So we know that in spite of his failure and discipline, uh, that the Lord cared for him and loved him deeply. So we are to be encouraged by that. You know, and here we are encouraged not to abandon that promise God has given us of blessings for faithfulness. We share the blessings of the household of Christ if we don't waver. That you know what this is saying is, you know, if we are faithful in our fellowship with Christ, you know, if we don't uh, uh, voluntarily you know forsake the gathering of ourselves together as Christian believers, you know, then you know, and if we strive to, to let him to work in us to make us more like him, then we will reap rewards for that obedience. No matter, you know, yeah, there's going to be some pain involved, you know, it's, that's, you know, a part of spiritual growth. We have to maintain our fellowship and closeness with Christ. We don't want to follow him from afar off. Because you following him from afar off is not going to get you many blessings in life at all. You want to be close to him. That is how you hold, you hold fast. It's When it tells us to hold fast, it's talking about us holding fast to what we uh, say and believe. You know, we want to tightly embrace that. The more tightly we embrace it, the closer our fellowship is with him. And so, therefore, we have a greater reward. Verse 7 now. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today... If you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness, 
When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Here we have what I believe is the key to this chapter here. The Lord got to a point where he swore that the people would never, would never enter his rest. I believe it was possibly because the people had hardened so much that they were going to keep on in their immaturity. I think this is as much a parallel between Christians and the unbelievers also. With unbelievers, after so many times of trying to draw the person to salvation in Jesus, uh, they are, they're so hardened in their refusal that they can't turn to Christ, and so God uh, stops trying to convict them of their need for Christ, and he just turns them over to that, which unfortunately for them dooms them. Uh, with Christians, his patience, it, his patience can be exhausted, and he lets them remain in their immaturity. I've, heard, I've read it said that uh, forgiveness is limitless, but repentance is not. You know, unfortunately, for you know, there comes a time in the course of our lives that uh, we can do things that we can't go back and change, no matter how much we wish we could. And I believe that's what it's referring to here. You know, the Lord will finally just say, you know what, enough's enough, and just leave someone uh, in whatever spiritual state that they're in, even as a Christian. Uh, you know, the, he lets them remain in that uh, whatever stage of growth that they're in. Verse 12 now. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You know, in staying in touch with our fellow believers, we are exposed to the word, you know, and that, the, to the lives of others following Christ. People who are striving to follow Christ will not be easily hardened by sin. It's like we're you know, I, I can't really think of an adequate illustration of this right off the top of my head, but uh, that word that we're exposed to, that fellowship that we uh, have with our other believers, it, it helps to keep our hearts from being hardened in sin because we're around that. It's kind of like the darkness does not like the light. You know, well, the more light you have, the less darkness you have. So you stay around the people of God, and through one way or another, you get more, you stay in the word, you get more involved in the word. The Lord will show you what may or may not be going on wrong in your heart, you know, and he will use that to try to uh, make you more into what you should be. And in being more of what you should be, you're going to be less of what you should not be. So now the verse 14. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. As Christians, if we listen to him today, turn away from whatever sin, our hearts will not harden as Israel's did when they provoked the Lord. This is repeated basically twice here. You know, more, or really, kind of to me, three times for verses 12 and 13. You know, it's a warning, an admonition. People, please. Watch what you're doing in your spiritual life. Don't harden yourself. Don't let yourself get hardened by some kind of sin, you know. Remember that sin is never good for you, no matter how good it may feel or in how inconsequential it might seem. It does matter. It does matter. Verse 16. 
For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit, not all of the all that not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with but with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear that he excuse me? And to whom swear he that he should not enter that they should not enter into this rest? But to them that believe not. So we see that they cannot enter because of unbelief. These people who these people could not enter into the promised land due to due to their unbelief. You know, they didn't want to go. They saw their people were too big and strong for us. And this unbelief caused God to swear that they would not enter. They were never allowed to progress beyond where they were, and so that is how they died. They refused to trust in the promises of God that he would pr protect them, you know, and that they would be able to conquer this land that the Lord was offering to them. And because of their failure, they didn't, you know, they were not, they did not go into the promised land. That generation did not. So, finally, we were going to look at chapter 4. And uh, let us therefore fear lest, uh, lest a promise being left us of entering his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Again, here we have a warning to be mindful, diligent, that we should not fail to enter his rest by disobedience. Verse 2, For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we, for we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. You know, in a sense, in an eternal sense, we as Christians have ceased from our works. Our dead works are gone. They are, you know, our lot, you know, all that stuff is done. It's overburnt. It's, it's forgotten by God. It's forgiven. When we trusted Christ, this was done. Eternally, we have entered his rest. And now, as believers, we have the ability to enter into a practical rest, I guess you could say, here in this life, an ability to please God by our actions as believers. You know, we reap benefits and blessings here in this, in this world, and then ultimately when we come face to face with him, we receive a reward and a good word for the thing, for the different things that we've done for him. Yes, we do indeed. So again, eternally we have entered his rest. Others, however, have failed to mix faith with the hearing of the word. A lost person, you know, a person who dies lost, they never mix faith in with what they heard. They never believed it. Verse 4. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. You know, we again, we as believers, have ceased from all our works, our dead works. God's works, of course, were not dead, but ours were. And so those works are poof. They're not considered. They're not judged anymore because we are uh, Christians now. We are believers united in Christ. Verse 5. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached enter not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David today, after so long a time, as it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then 
then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Verse 10. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his works, as God did from his. You know, the offer of rest extends today to us as Christians if we will only listen to him and heed. We must do today what may not what might what may not be available tomorrow. You know, for tomorrow may not be a day that God that the Lord gives us. You know, we might not have tomorrow. We might not even have, have the rest of today, but we still have a part of today. So the Bible urges us to today I can spell that in all capital letters for emphasis, you know. Today is the day that we are to listen to him, to draw near to him, to seek his mercy and his grace. It is today. And that also, of course, applies to uh, salvation. You know, if you're if you're an unbeliever, if you're a lost person right now, you know, don't uh, don't refuse the heeding of the, the, the call of the Holy Spirit. If you feel him drawing you to Christ, don't put it off, you know, because you might not get another chance. You don't know you don't know when your time on this earth is up. You don't know when, how many after how you don't know how many times you can harden your heart in rejection of his offer of salvation and get another chance. You might not. And it's not worth wait. It's not, you know, it's not worth the risk, you know, waiting on it or taking a chance on it. So verse 11, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. You know, to believe is not to labor or work. So here he is talking about how we are to strive to maintain our closeness with Christ. You know, you don't work to believe. You don't, I mean, you don't work to be saved, okay? So you don't labor to be saved. What you labor for is to enter into God's blessings through your obedience to him. It is labor, it is work to obey Christ. Verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividings asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing that we have a great high priest that is passed, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our limit of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come bold, come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. Excuse me, and find grace to help in time of need. You know, in striving to enter his rest, we all encounter all sorts of troubles, you know, whatever they might be. We might be tempted to do all sorts of things. Uh, we might even have persecution. We have a high priest who knows absolutely everything about us, good and bad. He knows what it feels like in all areas of temptation. So he knows how we feel when we are tempted. We come to him with a sincere heart, seeking grace and mercy, and we will find it. He is not going to turn you away. You come to him in sincerity, in a sincere heart, seeking to you know, stop what you're doing and ask for him to, uh, you know, to take you back in fellowship. 
he will accept you. And so what we have here is we see that the entire book of Hebrews is written to Christians. Uh, it is written to Christian believers and so much of this book, actually I, th I think most of it, is urging Christians to not waver, not to um, take lightly their faith in Christ, their life in Christ, their walk in Christ, you know. Don't take it lightly. Don't let sin come into your life and, uh, you know, put distance between you and the Lord, you know. Because you don't want, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when you're trying to talk to somebody and you walk around into the wrong place and you can't, you know, it's like you get a bad connection, you know. That's what sin does to your life. You lose that closeness and clearness of communication with God, in a, uh, in a sense. When you let sin come in and heart, you know, and you get used to it, don't, heart, don't let yourself be hardened by sin, people. It's not worth it, you know. So we see that we are to strive to enter his rest in a practical sense by following him and listening to him in this life. You want to be a successful conquering Christian? Don't let yourself be hardened by sin, and that includes unbelief. So I want to just take a moment now, you know, and pray. I don't know how many people are going to watch this, you know, but... Uh, I pray that if there's anybody out there who needs Christ as a Savior right now, I pray that uh, if you're feeling Him drawing you, if you're feeling the Holy Spirit draw you to salvation, folks, I'm begging you, please do not, re please do not reject that. Today is your day. Today, this is this time is your time. Accept Him now, while while He is still to be found for you. All you have to do is yield to him. You don't have to say a fancy prayer or anything. All you have to do for right now is just believe. Accept him at his word. And, you know, you will then be baptized with the Holy Spirit and you will be clean. His water, that living water will now live in you and it will have cleansed you from all of your unrighteousness. Your guilt, your condemnation will be washed away. So... And it's in Christ's name I ask all these things, Father. Amen.